and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man, I'm sorry, <clears throat> because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This ends a reading of the Word of God. Amen. Do I need to dismiss the kids? You have children's church. Oh, you already did. Oh, okay then. I don't know. <laughs> See, I forgot too. My bad. Okay, Allie. Page 338, I know not why God's wondrous hymn that you picked for today. Line 4, phenomenal. Goes in with theology of the end times. This person doesn't know if he's going to go into rapture or if he's going to stay for tribulation. But it really didn't matter to this person because he said God was able to keep them through their trials and tribulation. Also, it was it last Sunday? The choir rocked. In case you didn't know, the choir that went to sing over at the First Brethren Church for Thanksgiving, uh, they sung very well. It was phenomenal. So thank you, choir, for uh, doing that. That was really, really super good. And then Christmas Eve candlelight service, 6 o'clock. Mr. Shockey. Christmas Eve candlelight service, 6 o'clock. Really looking forward to that and looking forward to all the Christmas services we're going to have this week. On this first Sunday of Advent, the prophecy candle, or the candle of hope, symbolizing the prophets who foretold the birth of the Messiah, is shining bright before us this morning. Also before us is the bread and cup, representing the great sacrifice Jesus made for our salvation. To me, there's no better way to begin the Advent season than receiving communion, remembering that this bread and cup, symbolizing the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, gives us hope that he will one day come back for us. The Old Testament seems to speak about a future Messiah. Genesis 49, verse 10. The sepulcher will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Numbers 24, verses 17 through 19. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a sepulcher shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The prophet spoke about this Messiah, or what they called the anointed one, the one set apart and endowed with the power of God for special service. 
The special service was symbolic of the anointing oil falling on the priests and the prophets in the Old Testament. This is the way they knew the person was called when the oil was put on them for the anointing. The Messiah would be from the seed of David. He would bring physical deliverance from Israel Gentiles' enemies. He would restore the temple. He would establish the kingdom rule of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is what the prophet said to David. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever according to all these words and according to all this vision. So did Nathan speak unto David. David was concerned. God had rejected Saul because Saul went to seek wizards for help. He went to heathen nations for help. And in David's sin, he saw what happened to Saul. And he said, don't make me like that. And the prophet said, don't worry, David. I have established your kingdom. I have established your rule forever. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. Because of these reasons I just read, the nation of Israel rejected Jesus as Messiah. He was not from the family of David, naturally. He was not a politician or military leader. He was not a king and did not bring peace to Israel. No, sir. He came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lies in a manger. No, sir. He had no natural father. No, sir. His family had no money. No, sir. He had no political or military bent. No, sir. Jesus had no kingdom. Yet he still came, and he was worshipped by nature, the animals, and all those who donated for him uh, a place for his mom and dad to go. All these people worshipped him as king of kings and lord of lords. He was worshipped by the shepherds, by the wise men, and by the angels who announced his coming. This morning we worship him as the king of kings and lord of lords of our lives. But is it possible that we will miss the sign of his second coming just as his people missed the sign of his first advent? Last week I spoke about the first two Sundays of Advent being talked about Jesus' second return. He had already came once, so the church was looking for him to come again. So they celebrated the first two advents looking for his second coming. And then the second two weeks of Advent were for his first coming. So my question is, will we miss the sign of his second coming just as those missed the sign of his first coming? Believers soon after his resurrection question his resurrection and second coming. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you there is no resurrection of the dead? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That ye may not be soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as at the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, Paul says. Today, believers disagree about the nature of the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus when they read the New Testament. It's been argued since the beginning of church history, how will he come, when will he come, what mode will he come? This is no new argument in church history about Jesus' second coming. But Jesus addresses this very issue in Matthew chapter 24, which is our scripture this morning. First, he foretells the destruction of the temple in verse 2. And the disciples ask him three questions. 
Tell us, Lord, what's going to happen? These are the questions the disciples wanted to know about Jesus' second coming. First, when shall these things be? Second, what is the sign of your coming? Third, what is the end of the world or the end of this age? Jesus answers their questions. He says, false Christ will come. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. There'll be famine, pestilence, earthquakes, persecution, and great iniquity will abound. And the gospel will be preached into the whole world. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, he says, people are to flee because of the tribulation that's about to come. He says, in this, beware of false preachers and teachers and prophets. He says, the sun will come for everybody to see. He will come in the clouds with power and glory. He will send his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather God's people together. But since no one knows when this will happen, he says everyone is to be ready. Now, just in reference to the abomination of desolation, people get real giggly-goo about this particular verse. The temple was built. The temple was destroyed. The temple was rebuilt. The temple went down again. Some Christian believes that before Christ comes, the temple will have to be rebuilt again in Jerusalem. And they take their whole life and their whole studies to figure out how the nation will build the temple. Other believers don't believe the temple will be rebuilt. But Jesus seems to indicate the temple will be rebuilt as the days of Solomon before his coming. But nonetheless, he says, believers are to be ready for his coming, and he lists the signs. Now, we know there's all kinds of preachers today, ain't they? I grew up when the guy went from Indiana over there and made everybody drink the Kool-Aid. I think his name was Jim Jones. I don't remember. Everybody thought he was a guru. Fascinating, great teacher. He drew people into himself. He said, I'm the one you're going to follow. There's no new things going on. It's been happening forever. There's all kinds of wars. What does war bring? Pestilence. All these things happen in life and in society. And Jesus says we're to be watching for these things, but we are to be ready. And he compares it to the days of Noah. People were living their lives as normal. Not a bad thing to do. I mean, we got to go to work, right? We got to eat. We got to have clothes. We got to have a vehicle, so to speak. We got to have a home. We need a place to worship. We have lives to live. We watch our, our kids get married. We have grandkids, great-grandkids. Things happen in life. So living life is not bad. We are to live our lives. Their, their problem was they continued to live their life regardless of what Noah was saying to them. When the flood came, as Noah preached to them, they did not know the exact time that he, uh, the flood was going to come. But when the flood came, it brought in a moment of time great devastation. We don't know how long Noah preached. We don't know how long it took him to build the ark. But I'm sure people thought, that guy's a nut. We've never heard of rain. We don't know what you're saying there. You're going to bring animals and put them on this boat, and there's going to be rain come down? We don't believe you. We've heard this all before. We're going to worship the God that we want to worship and do what we want to do, Noah. We're just going to live our lives as normal. Noah kept preaching, preaching, and preaching, and all of a sudden, boom, it happened, and it was too late for them. When I pastored in College Corner, toward the end of the service, the police department and the fire dudes walked right through the door of the church, and they just stood right there and said, we got to shut you down. There's a flood coming to College Corner. 
Now, we all know when it starts to rain outside, especially if the preacher's preaching, we all got to look that way. Of course, I got it pretty good here because you really can't see outside. But in most churches, you got windows. Everybody looks to see the storm is coming. We didn't think nothing of it. You know, it was thundering and lightning, and it started to rain. That service was almost over with. Here they come rushing through the door and said, every one of you need to leave right now. Just up the road, the water had got so deep that the fire truck let down the ladder all the way down. The guys uh, crawled down the ladder, went to the window of this couple's house, put them on the ladder, and took them back into their cars. It came just like that. We were living our own lives. We were worshiping God, having service. We weren't worried about the great flood that was coming. We didn't think nothing of it. We just carried on. Those guys banged through the door, told us what was happening. For the next nine hours, our church had to go to one of the members' house who lived in College Corner. And I'm sure they had a fun time, you know. All the little children's, all the people. They probably didn't have enough food to feed us all, but we had a good time. We were stuck for nine hours because College Corner is a flood area, and all the exits to get out of the town was flooded. They made us stay in the home. In a moment, in the matter of time. When I was little, I believe it was the blizzard of 78, my mom worked at a place called Baxter Travenal. Uh, my dad was a GM guy. The snow came so hard, we got stuck in the house. We had a store called Grace's Supermarket. And, you know, back then, the mom mostly did all the cooking and prepared the foods. Mom wasn't there for a week. We were stuck in the greenhouse beside the school. My dad says, after the snow went down a little bit, he put us in our snowmobile suits and our motorcycle helmets, and he said, take the red wagon and go up to Grace's and get some food. We went up to Grace's, and we filled the whole wagon up with Chips Ahoy chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> we brought those cookies back, and my dad said, what in the world? Well, you're sending a 12-year-old kid who's hungry. You think he's going to get hamburger and bologna and bread? No, he's going to get candy, and he's going to get candy galore. The point is, it happened in a moment of time, and it was quick, and we were not prepared because we were not looking for that. It happened a few years back. Now, my wife's the only smart one in our family. The electric went out, and I live on a well. If you live on a well, you know what I'm talking about. You got no water. She come home from work with buckets and buckets and buckets of water, said, we need this. I'm just a fly-by-night kind of guy. I don't really think we need it, but we needed all that water. We had to go stay in the hotel in Lewisburg for six days because the electric went out. We were living our lives as normal, and the repercussions we weren't worried about, we didn't think it was going to affect us, but it did. Everything affects us in life, but even today we don't think nothing of it. I probably have said once or twice in my life, that will never happen here or to me or in America. But it does, and it catches you off guard, and you can just go on and live as normal, and you're going to miss it. This is what Jesus is talking about in the days of Noah. All this thing Noah has said, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. They didn't want to hear him. They wouldn't listen to him. And when it came for them, it was too late because they lived their lives as normal. Jesus then lists two examples. He says, two will be in the field. Two will be grinding at the mill. And quickly, one will be taken and one will be left. Now, that's interesting to me because if you believe in the rapture, they call that premillennial thought that Jesus appears in the clouds and when he appears, all the believers are going to be taken off to him. This could be the meaning. One is taken. 
off to heaven, and the other one's left for the great tribulation. Could be a meaning. The other meaning could be when one is taken, the one is taken to prison because they're a believer. And now the tribulation's coming on them, and the other one is allowed to do the work. This is where all these views of the end time comes from, from all these passages. But either way, he says it's going to happen quickly. And either way, he says, you need to be prepared. As a result of all this, we are to be looking for his coming. He said if the guy knew that the evil man was going to come in and rob his house, he said he would have been ready. He would have known when the thief was coming, and he would have set something up for a thief like the Christmas show. The little dude stuck at home, home alone. He finally realized them thieves were there. What'd he do? Here's you a couple of tacks when you walk through my door. Here's my fake machine gun to keep you out. I'm going to do whatever I can do to keep you out because he knew those guys was coming to rob him. Jesus says in the same way, we are to be ready because we don't know when it's going to happen. So likewise, you and I are to be ready for his coming again and not miss it like the Jewish nation. We all get on Jewish people. If they would have known... If I would have known what they'd known, I would have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. I would have known he'd have been the Messiah. I would have known he'd have been the king. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because in all honesty, we really, really don't know who we are down deep or what we believe about the end times, do we? We don't know. We, we, we read guys. We search guys. We study. But nobody knows. There's no new guru out there that can tell you they have a secret to the kingdom of God. They know when he's coming back. They know how he's going to come back. And they know what it's going to look like. That's not true. Nobody knows. Jesus says, only my Father in heaven knows. Nobody knows. And it is our job to be prepared. I will never get on those guys. I will never speak bad about what happened back then. That they should have knew the scriptures. They should have knew the prophecy. They just didn't. And I believe sometimes we just don't know in our own Christian faith what we believe about anything. That's why we have so many different churches. We're steadfast in where we're at. But we don't know for sure which, which idea is truth in doctrine or theology. But we study, we read, and we pray. And in aspect, I hope we're ready. But we don't want to be like those guys who missed the first coming and missed the second coming of Jesus Christ. Part of getting ready, though, for the Lord's coming is coming to the altar of hope. This bread and this cup symbolizes Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And he tells his disciples, if I go away, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to bring you to where I'm at. He just didn't die and leave them alone. He died and gave them a promise. You see, when we come to the altar this morning in communion, we come as people of hope. We hope that the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who died and arose again, will remember us on that great resurrection day. And say, I remember you, Brian. I remember who you are. I remember the day that I saved your soul. I remember the day that I changed your life. Come into the kingdom of heaven. So you and I, within this framework, how do we get ready? How do we have hope? We come and we receive and symbol the shed blood and broken body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we remember and have hope that one day this king and this Lord and this master is going to come back for us. And whether he comes back and he whisks us off into heaven so we don't have to go through tribulation. Or whether we have to go through the tribulation and suffer 
we can believe and trust in him that he has it all under control and he will take care of us. So as we're living our lives, as we're going our way, as we celebrate Christmas, don't ever forget the King of Kings is coming for us. And if we go into the grave, he's going to raise us up. And if we're here on the earth, he's going to come back for us because he loves us. And we remember all this because of communion. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I do thank you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus for the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who died and rose again. You said he gives us life and life more abundantly. And on this first Sunday of Advent, Lord, it's the candle of hope. The prophets foretold about the Messiah who was to come and nobody believed it, but he came. And he saved the lost. He healed the sick. And he raised the dead. And for that, we're so grateful. And we're so grateful, Lord, that he saved us and he changed our lives. As that candle burns this morning, may his light of hope burn in our own lives. And as we prepare to receive communion this morning, Lord, may we have hope. And may we look and long for your coming. May we desire your coming. Look for you as King of kings and Lord of lords and stay in that word and always be faithful to you, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.